I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast with me, Jack Hope, Ross Leck. How are you doing, Ross? Marvellous, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Max Roy Brown, how are you, Max? Hello, yeah, very well, thank you. And standing in as our bio-bubble correspondent, Daniel Norcross, how are you? Uh, overwhelmed with innovation and tedium at uh, it being nearly midwinter. But on the plus side, it is the earliest sunset in London in the next day, as opposed to the uh, shortest day. Owing to the fact that we live on an oblate sphere and it goes slightly weirdly elliptically around the sun. So uh, the, the uh, evenings will start to get longer as of Friday. Isn't that great? That is wonderful news. My spirits are lifted already. (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) This week on the podcast, we will be talking Bubbles Burst in South Africa. England's series has been cancelled. That means we'll have to focus on India v Australia. They wrapped up a three-match T20 series and we'll be moving on to some test matches. And to wrap the show up, we will be having a look forward to a post-COVID world and asking each other, what does that mean for cricket? We're full of optimism. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's. This is a cricket podcast, very much not about cricket. So <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. Um, as ever, though, we start with our irreverent opening question. Um, this week, we have been asked, which cricketer would you send to negotiate with the EU? Um, this obviously in reference to the impending No Deal. That Boris Johnson is about to return with. Max, your biggest on my screen at the moment, so I'm going to go to you first. Which cricketer are you sending? So it's it's a little uh, it's a little niche, but there is um, there is reasoning to it. So if you've been following the news, you'll probably be aware that one of the uh, key sticking points in getting a deal done has been access to uh, UK waters. So what you need is to send someone with uh, a lot of experience with fishing, and for that reason, I would send James Vince. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sir Ian Botham then. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which again, if, if, if you want I'm to end not... up with no deal, then I think yeah, I'm, Sir I'm Ian Botham would be a great move. not sending Botham anywhere near an EU <laughs> negotiating table. Thank you. <laughs> Just think, Ian Botham is closer to negotiating on behalf of the country than you will ever be, or, or, or any of us will ever be. <laughs> Um, I I actually did go with Beefy. Um, I I feel like Lord Botham, he's a man who is across all the Brexit facts. Um, Max, as you say, he loves fishing, and that appears to be the main thing we're negotiating on. (laughs) Um, And I I can't think... You don't want to send a Remainer cricketer, do you? They're not going to have the heart for it. I think you send your your meanest man, uh, and I think that is Lord Botham. (laughs) Ross, what do you think? So I've, I've got a bit. I've, I think we need an Australian to help us do this for us, and we want one who is who likes the detail. He might always get the detail right, but he loves to review the detail. And that person is Shane Watson. <laughs> Shane Shane Watson would review every small bit of detail, and he'd get us across the line. It might take us a bit of time, but we would have a good deal. Um, that's a, a strong answer. And and Daniel, um, finish us off. Who who would you send to negotiate on behalf of the UK? Having never thought about this until right now, um, I guess it depends which camp you're in. I think if you're in, it's, it's clear the government doesn't really want to deal because 
if it has a deal, then it hasn't got its its purest Brexit, which is that we are free and uh, literally free to do whatever we want to do. We can have a party. Um, so you'd send Sir Jeffrey Boycott, I think, if you were um, if you, if you were uh, Boris Johnson, because you know it would be short, sharp, abrupt to the point, and we'd end up with with no deal. Oh, see, I thought you were uh, going to go with the uh, he would stall things for so long that we'd run out of time. Well, there's that too. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got so much going for him. He can play it both <laughs> ways. He's a he's a three sixty degree uh, negotiator. Uh, I think I think if you wanted to get something out of negotiations, then you'd send. I mean, there are two great British people that there have ever been. Douglas Jardine would be magnificent because they would. I mean, they'd whine a lot, wouldn't they? They'd say, "There's only uh, one team out there that's uh, negotiating," <laughs> but uh, there's nothing they'd be able to do about it, and and we'd win. Hands down. So uh, I'd take Jardine, but he's dead. So I suppose you'd take the cleverest man in Britain, which is Mike Brearley, who would just, he would just psychoanalyze the crap out of them. By the end of it, Ursula von der Leyen would come back and say, I had the most terrible childhood. I understand now. I've owned the fish. I've everything. I don't care. It's a foie gras. He said, No, we won't do foie gras because we don't like animal cruelty. Oh, it's done it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Those are. My completely unthought through answers to your sudden <laughs> hijack ambushing of a question. <laughs> um, to the podcast. Well, very, well ne- <laughs> very well negotiated, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe we should send you. Um, <laughs> I'd love to do it. I would love it. I, I, I could really, yeah, steak free, superb. I'd keep it going for ages. I love yeah. the food out <laughs> You'd there. Come back wearing a beret and mm. a stripy top. It's also yeah. the only way I'd get into Europe without having to go through customs control for the rest of my life. So it would be, you know, like quite nice to have that one last swing round the block. Yeah, and I really do think that your accents are perfect for the negotiating table. I think they'd really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> where, where is my donkey? <laughs> right. Um, Ross, would you like to explain to our listeners where they can find us on the internet? Yes, they can find us on all podcast platforms where they should search for The Cricket Pod if you're listening to it. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Cricket Pod and tell a friend about us. We want to get the word out that we're speaking to the French Daniel Norcross with a perfect (laughs) accent, the perfect EU team to go and get the deals. Get us out there. Um, Excellent. We will take a really short break and then we will come back to talk about the series that wasn't England v South Africa. Yes, uh, the tour that wasn't complete. Uh, England versus South Africa was called off after a breach of the bubble. Um, bubble fatigue finally caught up with the teams and the relatively pointless ODI series was missed. Um, guys, first and foremost, he's sad that you've missed the, the final bit of cricket. Max, is it? Is it really? Sh- oh, you were really excited for it in the preview last week. Well, I mean, the first one was on a Friday, which is always a good opportunity to sit with your laptop in front of the TV and watch a bit of cricket. It's also it's a good work. time zone, isn't it? I think every time a South African match is rained off or or cancelled, that's that's another. It's 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 an opportunity lost, man. I think you're right there, Max. If it was in yeah. India or or Australia, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you'd have to be up in the middle of the night. You just get more sleep, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, there we go. We're not going to talk about time zones. We fall into that oh, trap no. before on the podcast. <laughs> Um, Daniel, um, who do you think is going to be more impactful? Is it the South African side who's going to go away with their reputation in tatters? Or England sitting there going, do you know what, we put so much effort into making this work, we're really pissed off with this whole thing? Or actually is a bit of a storm in a teacup and eventually this was going to happen um, after the successful summer that we had? Uh, I think it's more of the last one, to be honest with you. Uh, they'll, they'll, 
be they'll be annoyed because having had this incredible summer that England managed to put together with was it ten thousand negative tests they think that they did and I was in those bubbles and they were fantastically well organised and you know you really were corralled around and there were there were like ECB people with binoculars watching us from one end of the ground at Old Trafford <laughs> to make sure that no more than four people went into a room and fair play you know that's that you have to do that kind of thing in order to make it really work. Uh, but but so token, we've got to be careful about not being too sort of superior about this. We managed to put this together at a time when COVID was really low. I mean, uh, one of my great gripes about the coronavirus is uh, how people don't understand numbers. And if you remember, um, Eid was cancelled at two hours' notice, with which was an astounding thing to do because the rates per 100,000 had risen to about 20-odd in Manchester. And that, that was what triggered, if you recall, the end of travel-safe corridors from one country to the other. Now, it, the average is about 179 per 100,000 now, and we're all jetting off to Christmas to go and, you know, kill a grandmother. It's quite <laughs> extraordinary. Um, and, and not giving a second thought about it, saying, oh, this is my right to go and listen to terrible music when people don't go to church or even really know who Jesus Christ was anyway. So, you know, at the time when we had our bubble, there were the rates of infection were really, really low. And so the chances of getting it to come off were much, much higher, which is not to take anything away from the ECB, who did a brilliant, brilliant job. In South Africa, they've got a big spike at the moment, and they've got a spike in Cape Town. And it's very difficult unless absolutely everybody in that bubble stays in that bubble. You could get food in. You know, they don't have like, it's not like, like the war. They don't have like an airlift in Burma. It's, you know, stuff is delivered and you know people come in and make it and i don't know the precise details of the bubble i don't know if everybody inside the hotel was staying there every night um that wasn't the case with the english bubbles there were some people who came in and out of the bubbles but they were kept away from you know broadcasters and players and what have you so it's a really difficult operation to put together and it's be easy for us to go well this just shows how chaotic south african cricket is because of this but I don't think it does show that. I think uh, some people might also say that the haste with which England left the bubble was unseemly. I don't think that either, actually, because I think having been in these bubbles constantly, in the case of Joffre Archer from the middle of July, early July probably, through till pretty much now, I know he wasn't doing the ODI series, but as an example, someone like him has been in that bubble all that time. And when COVID starts to come into the bubble, then... That you don't like what's the point why, why are we here it, it's bad enough having all these strictures if it's not even working so i can understand why england left i think it is a problem for south african cricket in the short term because they really needed to prove the efficacy of the bubble and they've got other cricket due to come up you know we've seen today that their tour with australia could happen in perth rather than happening in south africa with the rights money being paid back to Cricket South Africa to sort of help their financial situation. But that's not ideal, is it? Because they were supposed to be, that tour was supposed to take place in South Africa. And given that they're in a spot of bother at the moment, I think rather than jumping on their backs and going, Duh, just goes to show how crap you are, we, we might be better served just seeing that eventually a bubble was going to go, you know? And, and if you if there's a spike, which like Cricket South Africa has no control over in Cape Town, the chances of it happening were high. We've also got to bear in mind boring technical things like false positive results that happen. And it seems that there were two people in the England camp who got false positives. So if those 
tests hadn't been defective, then the three matches would have taken place. And believe you me, I was desperate for them to happen. I'm ticking down every minute of every day until I get a jab, which as a 51-year-old man is going to take quite a while, not as long as it's going to take for you. But <laughs> <laughs> it's still going to take ages. So I, I wanted three days of loafing around on my sofa doing absolutely nothing but being able to pretend it was work as opposed yes. to loafing around on my sofa hating myself for it. So I was thoroughly cheesed off about it. Um, as for the wider cricketing significance, absolutely none, because we're two and a half years away, three years away from an ODI World Cup. And they got to play the three matches that mattered, didn't they? They played the T20s. And given that we're in a T20 World Cup year, that was the single most important thing from, from an on-field perspective. The off-field stuff, that that is really for the cricket family, for want of a better phrase, to sort of come to South Africa's aid rather than point fingers at them. Yeah, indeed. Um, to run through the sort of the, the chain of events that led to this then, um, obviously we know that before the series started, two unnamed, but I think we know it was Pefal Aquayo and um, I, I forgot the other name. Two, two, yeah, David Miller uh, had tested positive um, for COVID. They, they obviously were kept isolated, but then another player at some point picked up the virus. And then following that, two hotel staff and the two... Um, false positives that Daniel mentioned at that point the England players um, probably fairly I, I, I would say fairly said that the mental strain of being in a bubble where you, you there's no point of the bubble because you might get COVID because COVID is in the bubble um, meant they would rather be at home um, I guess yeah the, the big problem or, 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 or the issue is here that the South Africa are now two million US dollars out of pocket or, or aren't going to receive the, the, the money for those games. Um, I mean, what they do about that is... Well, it, they, they they still might because that's why they're so keen to rearrange them. Sure. Yeah, um, well, so, so, yes, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, so but, that, it, might, that might yet happen. Uh, it, and that's partly, I think, why everybody's so keen to make sure these matches happen. And, and to look, you know, maybe it's just trying a bit too hard to preserve broadcasting rights if you're going to go and play cricket in the middle of a COVID. So let's go in the middle of a pandemic to go play cricket yeah. in the middle of where the pandemic's worst in the country where it's, it's I, happening, you know. I think the South Africans have also conceded that their bubble was not quite as tight as the English bubble. They did, um, I understand, host a barbecue, for, <laughs> which included people from outside of the the the, the bubble. It, the, the, their their reasoning was that it was a, the the bar the barbecue happened at an outdoor venue, so um, there was a lower mm. risk of COVID transmission. But it, it appears that might not have been as foolproof a plan uh, as they hoped. Um, I, I think for for the future tours, um, now that the England players have returned negatives, I, I think the ETB are, are cautiously going to sign off on, on, on the South African bubble being acceptable. Um, and, and I think the South Africans will probably avoid barbecues in future, um, which which should mean that South Africa and Pakistan do. Um, you can't account for that one pesky get guests going around licking the burgers can you <laughs> well it's, it's interesting would um so kind of thinking around the the bigger squad they had around in the hotels because obviously the odi squad and the t20 squad they're pretty much at the same time and i'm wondering if actually organizing the odis was actually part of the problem here if you have six 2020s what is the impact on the revenue you're going to get from the odis anyway and actually you've got a world cup in you've got a world cup in 12 months would it just be better off than playing five or six t20s instead having a smaller squad, having less risk that way? That's a really good point. I think you're right. 
but it's, it's easy to be wise after the event. People get the feeling, don't they? Weirdly, they think we're T20 internationals. We're all going to get T20 international fatigue, even though we hardly ever play them. It's perfectly acceptable to play 58 IPL games crammed into the space of six weeks because well... we can't get enough of it. But if you <laughs> if you force me to sit through six T20 internationals spread out over the course of two weeks, I'll, I'll just go mad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. I, apart from that, I think there should be more T20 internationals because watching Dawid Milan get his average up over 50 and uh, not apparently be good enough to play in a series of leagues around the world <laughs> because being number one ranked T20 international batsman means you couldn't, you wouldn't stand a chance against Washington Sundar. Not a chance. <laughs> the he's devilishly slow, Dan. Well, he's, he's devilishly something, yeah. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's very good, Washington Sundar at T20 cricket, but something tells me that Dawid Milan, you know, if if you can score all those runs against lots of international players, then you're in with a pretty good chance of scoring them against some non-international players on some flat decks. Myself, so I, I just wanted to see more of Dawid Milan, especially because he, he looks to me when he goes out to bat like, um, you, you know, those sort of awful sort of pictures in the 80s, you know, of, of blindfolded hostages being paraded in front of cameras. And so it comes out and he looks like he has no idea where the ball is and he's being pushed towards the wicket. And then somebody bowls a gentle away swinger and he prods his bat helplessly at it. And he does this for about eight balls and then he smashes it constantly <laughs> for the next 45 minutes. And you think, wow, this is this is really odd, isn't it? Because, he, I mean, he sort of played himself in in eight balls. And when I grew up, you needed... Either you were so good, you didn't really need to play yourself in, or you it took you half an hour. But he's this incredible cricketer that takes approximately seven and a half minutes to play himself in. Well, well let's let's talk about that then, shall we? So the, the success around it, England obviously won 3-0. Um, what do you think we actually learned out of that? So we kind of touched upon it on the last episode, but um, England's batting is phenomenal. M- Milan, etc., et are just incredible. Rashid is probably the best spinner in the world. Would you agree with that, Dan? Uh, well, I, th- I think Rashid Khan would have a word or two to say about that. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely up there. He's definitely up there. England have got a fantastically good T20 side, and it's remarkable, isn't it? Because a lot of these players have had to come from a country that's got the hated T20 blast in it. It's apparently not good enough, and it's got too many teams, and, and none of them are any good. And yet it's created the number one batsman in the world. Um, I grant you that quite a lot of them, of the players in that squad, played in the IPL this year too, and the IPL has been massively helpful in... Uh, forging their development but we're now starting to see the game of t20 becoming really a lot more scientific and analyzed and england are really lucky that they've got a completely brilliant captain at the helm who thinks very very hard about the right thing to do you know virat Kohli may be the best the best all form batsman in the world but he's certainly not the best captain in the world and the difference in india having a, a load of unbelievable talents in their side captained by Coley and England having been captained by Owen Morgan, you see the proof of it on the field. He's he's uh, sensational. I don't think, though, that England's bowling attack, if you took all of their bowls with the exception of Joffre Archer, they wouldn't be first picks for a series of franchises, would they? In BBL, IPL. I mean, Chris Jordan has played in a lot of these, but he's not... He's a very good player, but he's not no, like, an absolute I, must. I'd contest that. I think Archer, Rashid, and Wood would, if if they if they made themselves Woodward. available, would would all be um, picks and played in in the IPL. 
I think Mark Wood's a T20 bowler. I mean, I, I, well, I think Mark he's Wood. better than Tom Curran, um, uh, <laughs> who appears Careful. to be. Who, who appears to be? Oh, yeah. Well, I know there's a Surrey angle here, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I. Um, uh, yes, in short, I, I think he's a useful ODI bowler, um, and I think that those skills are transferable into the T20 game. I mean, I think England's big problem really is the, the lack of a second spinner. I don't think. Joffre and and Mark Wood um, are, are are where England might run into trouble. Um, I don't, I don't even think, necessarily no, think Sam Curran's where England will run into trouble. I don't think he. I think he's probably a below par um, bowler. But I, I, I don't think having that left arm angle is a problem. And, and if you bowl him at the right times, you can mitigate the fact that he's maybe not as talented as some of the other team's bowlers. Um, but I I do think I do think. To win a T20 World Cup in India, a second spinner would be nice. At, at the very least, I mean, I, I'll give you, I'll give you two teams here whose bowling attacks just feel so much better than England's, don't they? Australia, well, possibly three actually, if we count New Zealand. Australia have got Cummings, Stark, Hazelwood, horrible bowler to have to face. That's before you even get down to the sort of quite handy ones like Pattinson and and AJ Ty. They've got Alex uh, Alex Zampa. They've got Zampa, <laughs> Zampa. It's impossible <laughs> to say without being on a bad Australian accent. They seem to have discovered that Swepson's quite handy. I've seen a lot of him in BBL. They, they just seem to have a lot of depth in their bowling, as well as having sort of tricksy bits and pieces bowlers as well. So you can come in with Maxwell for an over or two to give the captain a bit of variety. And then India, you've got the likes of Shami, Bumrah, the spinners they've got, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> are ridiculous. You've got Jadeja, Chahal, um, you know, there's there's so much variety there. Both those sides feel to me like they've got better bowling attacks in England, which uh, is not to in any way denigrate the bowlers England have got, but we're talking about the best bowling attacks in the world and England doesn't got it. I think you'd probably say that, but I don't I don't think I think with the exception of that so that, that 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 second spinner, I think England's bowling attack is is fine. It's it might be I mean uh, Joffre Archer and Adil Rashid are obviously uh plus value players. And then the the last seamer and the the absence of the second spinner are, are, are minus points. But I don't I don't I don't I don't think that necessarily holds England back. Spectacularly. I think it's a question of depth, and though, Jack. I don't from, think from you need to worry. I well, I I I, 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 don't, I mean, I'm, we'll get to that in a second. I just think England's batting and the way England play T Twenty is so far in advance of how Australia and India have been playing T Twenty. And we saw that we saw this. I mean, in 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 the series um, that's just played out that we'll get to in a minute. They're playing like 2015 um, T20 cricket, and England aren't. England go for it. Um, there's not. They, they they absolutely battered South Africa, and South Africa are actually quite good at T20 cricket. If you look at their their form over the last two or three years, they're 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 one of the competitive sides, and I I just think England is so far beyond in white ball cricket uh, in terms my, of strategy fear, and batting. That my fear is that with batting sides. And don't get me wrong, it's great. I, I, I understand why you get all preapic over the batting because it's it's superb fun, and you know you're, you're obviously from the Danny Morrison school, and it's called Mars and Mars and Mars and other super smashing maximum. But there comes a day with, with all batting sides when they're predominantly batting sides when their batting fails them, lets them down. And England have had that a few times. They had the, the Champions Trophy semi final, and uh, you could arguably say they had it in the World Cup final, and they got a little fortunate to get over the line. Whereas bowling sides. The bowlers, 
if you've got a really good bowling team, it doesn't let you down because it just does the same bloody thing every time. And if you're going to, like, if I was going to pick a T20, if I was in charge of a T20 franchise, I would be picking the best bowlers in the world, wherever they came from first. They'd be first on my team sheet. And then, you know, the slogging aspect of it. Everybody does range hitting now. Um, I know we happen to do it a bit better than everybody else. You'd say that we've got the best top seven in the world, England. But if you wanted to be feel really comfortable, you'd also want to have, you know, you'd have Rashid Khan, Adil Rashid, uh, Jasprit Bumrah, Jofra Archer, and oh, who would be your last one? Possibly like Trent Bolt. Mm-hmm. And you'd have somebody who can bowl you some overs in the middle, like Blair Maxwell. You have Stoinis. Them. Marcus Stoinis. Oh, Stoinis. I don't know. I think you can make the <laughs> argument. I think you can make the argument that the, the English batting top six or top seven Every single one of those gets in over their counterparts in the Australian and um, every Indian single side. one. I think you can make that argument. Bullish. I think you can make that argument, and I think the way they play um, is yeah, David Warner. No chance. You know, the man, uh, the man who's got five hundred runs in the IPL for seven years. It depends which Warner you get. Because if you get <laughs> if you get first seven games of the IPL, David Warner, then he like he shouldn't be anywhere near. Uh, a, a, oh a, no, a, I'm a, a top first... level. I, I'll tell you all, but the David Warner I'm going for is the first 13 years of the IPL. That's- <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a staggering turnaround since when we started the podcast. Jack used to hate England. He'd always back that England would lose, all this kind of stuff. Now he, he might as well have he might as well have Curran's tattooed down his forearm. No, I, just, I, just don't, I just don't think that David Warner, the way he plays T20 cricket now, is how you should be playing the game. And I think England are drilled so... Um, savagely by Morgan. I mean, like, remember when? Remember when um, David Milan didn't run on the last ball of the innings, and and then ba- got dropped for a year for, do- for doing that. What's wrong? Um, that? yeah. That's that's that level of um, vision isn't just the Australians don't have that. Dave Warner's going to go out and try and um, reduce the number of dot balls he faces, and and, and do things that are. A 2015 tactic. England aren't going to do that. I think they're they're. I, I, I take the point um, talent-wise that David Warner is is better than Jason Roy. So, uh, but I, I think the way Jason Roy plays is more effective than David Warner. But if your if your bowling attack restricts teams to 150 every time, then you don't really need David Warner to tee off. You need David Warner to to anchor an innings. Now, if David Warner played for England, where he was constantly having to chase 190, then maybe he'd tee off. Well, let's 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 because uh, we can argue about this all day and all podcasts <laughs> and for the and for the rest of time. Um, so let's let's try to contextualise this. Bit. Let's in, save it for the World Cup. Yeah, in in, in twenty twenty one, there's going to be a World Cup. Woo-hoo. So first first and foremost, how do we think England are going to get on in that? So Jack, you're saying they're winners. and no one's even going to come close. We're going to sh- batter two hundred and fifty every single. They time. should win. I mean, it's T twenty. It's a it's a high variance game. So um, Bangladesh one in ten times will beat England. Uh, and that's the, the the nature of it. Um, but England are the best team in the world. I think India in India might be a bit tricky, mightn't they? I think they'll be should, but it's, you, I don't think there are... I think almost all of the England players will have a wealth of experience um, in those conditions, with the exception probably of Milan uh, and Wood. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, see, I see, sorry, I just see Rohit Sharma... And Virat Kohli and Hardik Pandya. I mean, well, if, 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 if Sharma ever, ever turns up. Virat Kohli is the definition of what we thought was good in 2015 in, in T20 cricket. 
He, he, you could genuinely, I think, make the argument that he shouldn't be in that international team. You're just trying to make sure that, that no Indians ever watch the podcast again, aren't you? <laughs> there, is, there is a very vocal group of Indian fans that I'm playing to right now who are in the Kohli shouldn't be in the, the India T20 yeah. team. And, well, um, I, I've got a career to maintain. So I, I, I'm just going to speak to the Indian fans out there who obsessively love Kohli. I, I'm with you, man. He's great. <laughs> so, Max, uh, we've not really heard from you. We've, 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 had, uh, we've had Jack talking about England. I mean, and, you know, it's, sometimes it's nice to just sit on the front row with the bucket of popcorn but i suppose i should offer an opinion um i i think the thing is i i do uh see where daniel's coming from in terms of the the batting element of a side is more liable to fail than bowling side but i think the way the way you get at england is by batting first and taking their bowlers to the cleaners and that can be done and that just elevates the pressure on england's batsmen and that puts them in a situation where they are more likely not to fail, not to fail. They are more likely to fail, more likely not to, you know, uh, put everything together. And I, th- I think that is, um, you know, a, a possibly uh, a worry, especially in in India as well, where it's a bit easier to tie tie teams up. And, and when you are chasing a bigger score, all it takes is you know an over and a half, and suddenly that run rate looks colossal, even for a team like England. So I, I do think England have the best batting lineup in the world, like. By quite a long way, and I do see what you mean, Jack, about the um, you know teams playing pretty much sort of what England did with ODIs in the early two thousands is sort of we've we've taken taken the other the other side of things and sort of propelled the game where other countries maybe aren't aren't quite there with the batting. Um, I think we've spoken before, haven't we? Where uh, England, you'd rather have your number five come in and score twenty off twelve. Rather than like sort of eat up balls, and it doesn't matter if you like you yeah. get fifteen. If you do fifteen or five, you've done a good job, and and that's quite helpful. And that's sort of what we need to think about. But unfortunately, I don't yeah. think we'll do it. That's oh, a rambling oh, oh, speech over. Are we are we just giving up on the current holders of champions and repeatedly brilliant franchise cricketers, the West Indies, who hit more sixes than anybody else? Well, and after... are captain <laughs> by a really brilliant man. We're, we're, we're after the last few weeks, <laughs> after the last few weeks, Daniel, I think maybe they've got a bit of work to do. Yeah, th- th- this podcast sounds like it's been fully consumed by kind of the Brexit message that England's the best thing in the world, um, and that's not the case. We, we value every other cricketing nation. Um, what well, I do want to touch on, and Daniel talked about it earlier around the T Twenty blast. So we, we talk, we talk about England's lack of lack of depth in the bowling department there. Yet we have people like Danny Briggs, who's the, the leading wicket taker and a spinner in T Twenty blast history. And yet England's aversion to picking any other kind of spinner other than Rashid Ali Parkinson, who didn't tour for the South Africa. What, what do you think the aversion is to picking other English spinners at the moment? I think it's because they've not been proved elsewhere. Uh, and there's a lack of belief in the county set up to produce spinners. And that's not entirely unreasonable, actually, because you'll find even county spinners themselves complaining about how county cricket is set up not to help spinners. Ollie Rayner famously wrote a, a long piece about it for Crick Info about when cricket's played. You probably may have seen something that Graham Swan wrote this week, or at least was interviewed, and uh, Simon Hughes wrote up about how um, uh, he thinks that England spinners aren't even gripping the ball correctly. I mean, if, if he thinks that they're not even holding the ball right, that, that's something a little bit wonky going on, isn't there? 
And actually, if you read what he says, a lot of it makes an awful lot of sense about the, his particular action, having an away swing as action and being able to drag the ball back in and have this, this ball that hits a seam as well. And, and English sim, uh, spinners haven't done it. We've taken ages and ages and ages really to believe in Rashid. And that's part of him because his captain has believed in him. So it's taken very unusual circumstances to create a spinner out of England at the moment that is deemed to be capable of doing it at the top table. So um, you can sort of see why they don't. Um, and they've tried so many as well. You know, they've tried Don Bess early. You can see a lot of spinners being fast-tracked because obviously there's a lack of faith in the, the pool of spinners. And either they've talked themselves into believing that their spinners aren't good enough for all the reasons that we just talked about and all the reasons that Ollie Rayner talked about, or maybe they aren't quite good enough. I do think it's strange that Danny Briggs hasn't been tried at some point, but you've got to remember that the T20 international schedule, which I alluded to earlier, is ridiculous. It's pitifully thin. So, you know, often they were one-off games and only when there's a T20 World Cup inside, suddenly they get some series. How do you get to find out if these guys are any good? Now, Danny Briggs might tear it up at the Big Bash. Problem is the Big Bash isn't looking like it's going to be the highest quality tournament this year. I mean, it yeah, was, you can get a bunch of Australian farmers out, can't you? It's not, it's not too much of an you issue. Know, yeah, well, they've got no internationals playing. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to be commentating on it and, and I'll love watching it. But it's, it's noticeable, isn't it, that mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of English overseas county guys. Benny Howell is going out there. Danny Briggs, Will Jacks, Surrey, all very good cricketers. Some of them up and coming, some of them well-established. Uh, but you you wouldn't think that uh, you know in the bash in the in the in the blast rather that counties would be making their big signing you know the Will Jacks equivalent in Australia perhaps or the or the Danny Briggs equivalent in Australia so I don't know and I don't know they've given themselves enough time to find out I think part of the failure to play Parkinson is unfortunate mm-hmm. and I don't know why they haven't to be honest with you because I think there were opportunities to do that I think also not playing Moeen Ali at some point in those three T20s was baffling because it's clear England do need to find another spinner. Most importantly, Moeen Ali is a very good spinner. You know, he's and got, he's a great bat against spin, right? Which and is it, going to yeah. be an issue in India. So. That's right. I mean, what we don't know about Moeen genuinely is where his head's at. You know, he's not played an awful lot of cricket and he's been sat on the bench for Royal Challengers Bangalore, wasn't he? And then when he did come up, off the bench, he, he managed to get himself out of his first ball, which was also a free hit, which is one hell of an achievement. I mean, <laughs> that that's a whole new kind of duck. <laughs> right. It's beyond, it's beyond platinum. It's like, you know, rare uranium duck or something. It's <laughs> Feathers, we have managed to turn the non-ODI series into 25 minutes of cricket-based content. Um, so should we, well. should, we, should we put that? Um, topic to bed. We've got more T20 cricket to talk about, so we don't we don't have to put T20s to bed. Um, but we'll take a quick break, and then we will come back uh, with Australia v India. We love hearing from our listeners, so please follow us at the Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you have a great story like Scotty G did about the Hayden Way, Matthew Hayden's personal website, we want to hear about it. So from wherever you're from, send us in a great story, and we'll read out on the show. Email us on thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Yep, so moving away from England and the cricket that didn't didn't happen, uh, we'll sort of uh, we'll pivot to the Antipodes and some cricket that definitely did happen and some cricket that is still going to happen. Um, so 
around the time we last spoke, uh, there was a T20 series going on, uh, sorry, an ODI series going on, sorry, in um, Australia, between Australia and India. Uh, Australia had won the first two, and there was some chatter about whether Kohli should be India's white ball captain. Um, he, well, apart from whether his, his captaincy has changed, he's uh, sort of responded to that with a bit of form. Uh, India won the third ODI, albeit against a slightly... Uh, rejigged Australian team and he scored uh, 63 in that to bring up his 12,000th run in ODI cricket and faster to that milestone than Tendulkar so uh, let's just let's just put in a little reminder there of uh, how good Kohli actually is. <laughs> well, well, um, wait, can, we, can we just wait, wait on that one Max? We've gone yeah. two-footed in on Kohli earlier on. <laughs> yeah. Tendulkar, was he a bit shit? Should we go down that route as well or what are we going to do there? Well, I go so, after Bradman because that is my special <laughs> subject. <laughs> Um, he, he, he scored, did quite well in the T20s as well, and uh, India won t- the first two of those games to seal a series win. So uh, India turned things around a bit after Kohli got slagged off. But I, I do have a couple of things that I'd want to ask, uh, one of which was about whether Kohli should be white ball captain, but I think, uh, Dan, Daniel, you suggested that maybe maybe not earlier on. Well, oh, I didn't. I didn't. I, 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 yeah, be careful. Well, he, said, he said Morgan's better. Yes, I well, did. It, it, he is it, an it, option it is. for the India team. <laughs> that, that's the, exactly. That's their problem. I mean, I know Morgan has switched nationalities, but it would be strange if he managed to get Indian nationality <laughs> at this stage in his career. Uh, so uh, I don't. I, I'm generally not sure what their option is, actually, especially yeah. because of the culture of Indian cricket. I'm not sure that Kohli could play in that side and not be captain. So I don't think they can actually do anything about it. I think Kohli has got to get better at being captain. Yeah. I think it and might have been Rohit Sharma thinks, until yeah, he went suggestions, The suggestions were co- coming out yeah. were Rohit Sharma, but it did seem a strange time to suggest it when he was injured. Yeah, I don't think that... I'm not sure, actually, that that necessarily works either. I'm not sure that Rohit Sharma is particularly that much better tactical captain to put up with the strife that you would cause within mm. the camp by... Um, deposing Kohli, who is viewed in sort of hagiographic terms by an Indian public that can see him, apart from the friends of Jack, uh, can't see him doing <laughs> anything wrong. So I would be, uh, I, I think that it's, it's ridiculous to say lumbered with Kohli. You'd be, yeah. you'd be blessed to have Kohli on your side. But he's going to be their captain. That's what it is. Kohli perhaps could do with, you know, just getting better at being captains because captains improve, don't they? Teach. I know in Morgan teaching improved, and Morgan's improved, and Alistair Cook improved when he was test captain. Captains get better, so that's that would be my answer to what they do. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and the other thing, I mean, I'm sort of trying to, I'm trying to dance around the obvious topics for now. We'll get there very shortly. Um, I, for, on a personal level, I was a little disappointed in the Indian. T20 squad that toured Australia so we saw Washington Sundar who's been mentioned a couple of times already in the squad um, but I think from a batting, batting point of view there are a few uh, a few omissions that had obviously very good IPLs uh, one of which we all agreed I think when we rounded up the IPL was the star batsman of the competition which is Ishan Kishan and he's nowhere to be seen well this is this is India's problem they're they're picking the wrong players They're picking players who, um, as Ross um, often says, stat pad. Um, KL Rahul probably shouldn't be near that team. Um, I don't, especially when you have Kohli as well. Well, yeah, exactly. And I don't think Shreyas Iyer is 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 offering a 
batting cadence that varies from from those two, which which is going to put a massive ceiling on the number of runs you can score. Really, the best player they have, uh, the best T20 player, that, or two best two T20 players they have, are Sharma and Pandya. Um, Sharma obviously has decided that he is unavailable. No one knows where he is. Is he going to come back for the tests? We we did about fifteen minutes on this on the last show. Maybe we'll play where Apparent, Sharma later. Apparently, <laughs> apparently he might be fit. For, well, he he might be fit, and we'll possibly play the last two. Okay, um, but, but yeah, they have they've got a cadence issue. I mean, Shikhar Darwin as well, a, a a guy who can average forty and score at hundred and thirty. They've they don't. You only need one of those players. If you need one of those players, um, yeah. What, what is Manish Pandey doing in the side? When he when he was in the eleven, I was just like, why why have you got this Sunrisers Hyderabad guy who's sitting there going, he had an okay IPL. Um, I just, yeah, even even some of the youngsters are better, right? Where, where's um, where's Yadav? Yeah. Where's, 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 where's Yadav? Yeah. Where's my beautiful Sky? So one actually uh, an excellent fielder as well, which is very important. Yes. Where's anyway. Tawatia? Where's Tawatia? Because well, he's just he's a great one. That's what we're all asking. <laughs> Oh, yeah. so actually, actually there's, a, there's a key question here, Norcross, and I think you might is be able to help us with this. cocktail time? It is cocktail time. Oh, yeah. So we'll come, we'll come back to this. What do you think would be in a Tawatia 45? So that's what we think the name would be. So, <laughs> you, so we think it's a great name for a cocktail, so we'll come back to you for that one. A Tawatia 45, okay. Yeah. So Jack, I'm, yeah. I'm completely in agreement with you. They, they keep picking their wrong team. Um, but can we move a little bit to the actual games, shall we? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I will add that it's a bit harsh to go around and have a chastise a team for picking the wrong players when they've just won a T20 series away from Be- home. So. Because one of the right players did something. <laughs> that's why they won. They yes, didn't win true. because of all the old cloggers. Um, well, that, wasn't, that wasn't the only reason. One of the other reasons was that Australia didn't pick their best bowling lineup, did they? I mean, they, yeah. they, they gave it a little glimpse in the first game. And then after that, if, if you've... Stark's not in great form, it seems to me, at the moment. Something's not quite right with his release point. And he has a has a slight problem, I think. And he's that kind of a bowler that he has to be getting it absolutely right. He's He's got no margin for error. Of the Mitchell Johnson mould, very much. A little bit like that. But yeah. actually also, you know, you often you find it more often with sort of tall bowlers because you've got a bit more margin for error as, you, as your, your height, you know. Because mm. um, there's, there's the distance between them and the wicket. It's weird and the height that yeah. it comes down at. Anyway, that's boring and technical. But if they have got Cummins and Hazelwood and Zampa and <laughs> Maxwell every time and um, A and other bowlers, of which they've got quite a few to choose from, yeah, then they'll be better. They didn't pick Maxwell for every game, did they? I don't think. Um, they certainly didn't pick uh, Warner wasn't available. Yep, um, Warner was injured. So, you, so you've got that. Hazelwood uh, had a sore back. Finch was in and out. So yep. it was a really curious series, really. I mean, I, I found it difficult to be engaged in it properly because I think Jack's right. Well, you're all right. I don't think India have got their best side and Australia didn't have their best side. And you're thinking, well, why? Because we're coming up to a World T20. I mean, what a better opportunity to, to, to pick your best side than now. And, and for whatever reason, they didn't. And part of that was injury, but part of it was selection. And um, so the result of it was that I just thought, I got excited by incidents in it. I yes. got excited well, by Maxwell being, you know, insane. We'll, so, we'll, we'll come to the incidents, shall we, to try and stoke some uh, excitement in the game. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll we start with the first one um, in the first game where Jadeja hit some runs, got hit in the head, hit some more runs, and then uh, magically turned into Chahal, who took several wickets and won the I game don't get for this. India. 
I do not get this, right? Everybody seems to think that this is weird. So we can't have it two ways. We've got like lots and lots of sincere brow-beating concern about players and concussion, which I incidentally think is the right way to go about it, both in football and rugby and cricket. And there's been a horrible incident in cricket with Phil Hughes, which we all know about. And then there was the the, the pretty frightening one with Steve Smith as well. And mm-hmm. so we've got concussion replacements in there for a really good reason, because you've got to try to just say, no, sod off, you're not playing, rather than have them continue to play. And then there's this notion that replacing possibly one of the top three all-rounders in world cricket of the last 30 years. I mean, this guy averages 24 with the ball and has taken 200-odd test wickets. And is a phenomenal fielder as well. And is a phenomenal fielder. Look, if they if they could have him out there, they would. He, he fielded throughout the entire World Cup without barely playing a game, didn't he? He came on after three overs every bloody time. I think he touched the ball <laughs> more that than was, anyone that else. Was, yeah, that's right. He was... He was it was it was way more scandalous that he was on the field than that he wasn't on the field, and, and the idea that he was being replaced by a non-like for like. Well, you know, there's, they didn't have a like for like because there isn't anybody who happens to be a really brilliant batsman and a really brilliant bowler in their team, unsurprisingly, because they don't just fucking grow on trees. It is utterly ridiculous. So they replaced a spinner with a spinner, a spinner incidentally who didn't happen to have anything like as good numbers as the spinner who got hit in the head. And that bloke happened to do well. It was classic Australian whining. It was just, it was, it was body line all over again. Whenever it doesn't work out for that mob, they go absolutely batshit. They they invent lines that don't exist. They can't accept that they've lost. It's ridiculous. It's I've all about the baggy around. green. It's about the baggy, baggy green. The baggy green, which I sleep with and cry into every night. Every lose with the spoil the baggy green. I think we know what jingle's going in at this point, Jack, don't we? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think we're all unanimous on that front, aren't we? Like, <coughs> aside from the fact of, you know, like, again, you have a limited number of people to pick from. Even if you had the whole of the Indian setup to pick from, I don't know who you're going to pick anyway, like you say. Um, like, yeah, it's just... I, yeah, no, I, I think you're better off things. having an imperfect rule to deal with that issue. Than... He's got an economy rate of seven yeah. in T20 internationals with injured Jadeja. Do they honestly not want him on the field when they're defending eight and over? Of course they bloody wanted him to bowl. Just because the other guy happened to get him out. So what's he, what was he supposed to do? Was he supposed to promise not to take any wickets? Yeah. Is, is that is, the um... only way the Australians would have allowed us? You can come on as long as you go for 45 and take nothing. Well, <laughs> is, is Ricky Ponting still in their setup? Because I know that Langer brought him in for a little while as a kind of a batting consultant or assistant. I mean, he's got previous Gary Pratt. Maybe he just keeps that haunts him so much that the rest <laughs> of the Australians just like it's happening again. It's happening again. They're going to run out of Smithy. Well, um, it, was, it was Langer who was more vocal, wasn't it? And I, I've got a lot of time for Ricky Potts. I've got a lot of time for, for Justin Langer, but it, mm-hmm. it's just a knee-jerk reaction that Australians have when they lose that it can possibly have happened fairly. Yeah. In probably not the most important game in the world as well. I know. I mean, I fancy that to make a fuss out of. Jesus. <laughs> uh, Max, well. Yes. Yes. Uh, that is indeed the name of the person who committed the second act to <laughs> cause controversy. I, right, I'm going to come straight out with it personally. I have absolutely no idea why anyone cares. Um, Basically, who does Maxwell? Care? This was Maxwell, a, I didn't realise this either. Yeah. And then someone on Twitter sent us a tweet saying, um, some guy called Three on Twitter sent us a tweet saying Ian Chappell's um, yeah gone mental about a switch hit, <laughs> and he has. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous so- again. Sorry, it's ridiculous again. 
Um, if a batsman wants to do something that's ridiculously hard, well, exactly. stupidly ridiculously right? <laughs> hard, that you've got to be absolutely brilliant to pull off and therefore puts your wicket in jeopardy. Look, if you could tell me, as, as England captain, that, um, that that you could like say, right, you've now got to play a switch here to any batsman in the world, if you flipped it around the other way, he'd go, yes, please, I'll use that card. That'd be one of my, the new big bash things couldn't it you know <laughs> let's have the force force your opponent to play left-handed for two balls it's, it's a shot which is what we're talking about <laughs> yeah it's how is that wrong it is interesting that i, I actually saw crickfist i think tweeted this um one in nine times someone tries to switch hit they're out which is which is a pretty high dismissal rate yeah um, switch hit's got a really good bowling average <laughs> Certainly a brilliant strike rate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing is with Maxwell, Maxwell, he was so good at cricket when he was young that his um his teacher or his coach made him bat left-handed, which is why he can he can pull it off. Uh, so he, so, shouldn't so be spectacularly. Allowed to, he shouldn't be allowed to do it there. Yeah, because because he's, because he's, he's so he's good really at good. it, he's not yeah. allowed. Everyone else with your one in nine dismissals, carry on. Um <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's just patently stupid. We shouldn't even be talking about it. If uh, you know, frank, frankly. If if somebody wants to do something that's unbelievably difficult, let them do it. Yeah, it's not it's not the first time that Ian Chappell's gone off the deep end, is it? On, the, on these sorts be, of things, I tell you what, if, a... if you if you wanted to be really sort of, I mean, it would be, I I would go with this if you wanted to say that the moment somebody switch hits, they can be out LBW on either side of the wicket because they've now not got a leg stump, right? Yeah, then I'm I'm cool with that. If you want if you want to throw that in, I'm I'm fine with that. But that would be the, and I, I say I'm fine with it. I'm only saying that because it might just be a way of shutting them up. But yeah. I'm not if sure. If you have I am to do something, <laughs> that's that's a thing you can do. Dan Norcross, EU negotiator, <laughs> yeah. coming straight back in. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, I think that's those two points fairly comprehensively covered, and I don't think we can really offer a devil's advocate position to try and uh, eke it out any further. So um, let's uh, move on from the white ball game to the upcoming tests Max I've got a stat I've got a stat that we've got to talk about here and by talking about as you said Cameron Green became the third tallest batsman of all time to play a game of international cricket can you tell me who the other two were um, no I can't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then, uh, yeah, and then yeah, Cameron Green stands at 198 centimetres so uh, I think but how about two metres so is two metre Peter Fulton not two metres then not according to the stat I saw on cricket reddit <laughs> Cricket <laughs> Reddit. <laughs> Come on. Oh dear. Max, get on to the test matches yeah, quickly. Sorry. Come on. <laughs> now, can we edit that bit out? Right. Um the test matches, yes, there are four test matches. Um starting on the seventeenth, I believe, the first one. Um so normally you'd probably I think I think I'd say normally uh Australia away. With Hazelwood coming, Stark, Lyon, um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna struggle a bit. But um, I suppose the one uh, shining light for India is that uh, well, Warner got himself injured at the T20s. Uh, he's going to be out of the first game by the looks of it, which means the expected opening pair would be Joe Burns, who's not in the best of form, and Will Bukowski, who's young and got hit in the head, so we don't know if he's going to be all right for that. He needs um, to learn not to hit the ball, doesn't he? He's been hit ten times. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and, he, and it all started in Aussie rules, didn't it? The the first it, the first well bash done. of the head. Yes. Yeah, that's good knowledge on your part. I think Warner's the biggest, the big big miss, isn't it? Because his average and well, his his performances at home have been ridiculously good for the last five years. Can I just say something though? That 
somebody in cricket Australia has made a pact with the devil. Like there is no way that for the fourth year running, basically, they can get out the same bloody bowling attack. How are they doing that? Nowhere else in the world, right? England had to play against Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, and Lyon when they lost four nil. That was that was four Australian summers ago. They've got the same four doing it. What the hell is going on here? They used to go down, you know, they always had a, a, a wonky bat in there. You know, uh, we used to have a jingle for Pat Cummins, post, postman Pat, paceman Pat, paceman Pat with his with his wonky back. I mean, you know, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly he's the strongest man on earth. Josh Hazelwood, I don't know if you've ever been close to Josh Hazelwood, by which I mean, you know, within about three metres of him. No, emotionally, we are quite close. We were in a pen pals right. when we were younger. <laughs> well, he is colossal. It doesn't. You don't realise it until you're near him, but he is <laughs> immense, and yet never gets injured. And then he got Stark, and he got Lion. I I just think that that the bowlers win you the the matches in Australia. Because something do you reckon? It's so something in the Vegemite wickets. Uh, I don't. I hope not because I'm a big, big fan of Marmite of Vegemite. <laughs> and there are many reasons why Britain is a vastly superior country. I'm I'm very much with. Um, uh, what, what's the name of that idiot cabinet minister? Was it Gavin Williamson? Who said that you know, <laughs> he is an idiot cabinet minister, so it's likely. Yeah, just for those of you watching this who are over fifty, um, he's David Harris Jones from the Fallen Rise of Reginald Perrin, who constantly says "super," uh, but that's a reference that will go over the head of nearly all of your watchers, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, there's probably about eight people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but those eight will get it, and, and it's worth it for that. There you go, to, Paul to Griffiths. Bring some, bring some light. <laughs> Whoever he is, you, you'll get it. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it's hard to see beyond them, isn't it? Because their bowlers are relentless, and it's very, very hard for bowlers from other countries to know what it is you've got to do to take wickets on Australian pitches because the pitches are horrible to bowl on, and the ball is a bag of shit. <laughs> it absolutely just goes mushy and crap in no time. I say no time, 30, 40 overs, you know. Mm. So you have to be huge, relentlessly powerful and strong. Now, India have got their best seam attack of of all time, you know, without doubt. But in the last three or four years, they've created this fantastic battery of quick bowlers. So it gives them a good chance. But they've only got Kohli for one test match, yeah, which I think is a, a serious problem for them. And Australia, although they're missing Warner, They've got quite a few good young cricketers. You know, their batting's a little bit ropey, but Steve Bloody Smith, you know, put him on a shirt front. Well, he averages Bible 128 ball. at home against India, Steve Smith. Oh, Marlis Labuschagne, the man oh, who's hit well, about 10 centuries in the last 10 games. He's okay, isn't Marlis, he? He's all right. Marlis Labuschagne, incidentally, for those of you at home who want to try this trick, you know when you get those mashups of people's heads? where they take the forehead of one person, the eyes of someone else, the nose of someone else, and the mouth of someone else, and they put them together. Yeah, Do that with any four random people, and you get Marnus Labashain every time. <laughs> it's <laughs> really weird. And it's, said... <laughs> people say, what does Marnus Labashain look like? And he looks like a composite of any four randomly selected people. <laughs> so, it kind of looks like the back of a spade, is how I've kind of described him before, but there yeah. we go. Uh, well, anyway, so you kind of talked about that um, with Cody not being there. That means um, Rahane is going to take the captaincy of the Test match. Um, you've obviously got Pajara, who's the the new wall, um, and did very well last time he was out there. Um, so they they do have some batting, but yeah, without Cody, it's going to be they're a brilliant team. Go. I mean, it should be a fantastic series. You know, notwithstanding the stupid time of day they insist on playing it, it was. <laughs> it's a really, really. <laughs> 
superb matchup between two of the best teams in the world. So it'd be well worth watching. And I don't mean to say that it's not worth it because I think Australia will win. It's just that if you have to pick a winner, then picking that relentless quartet of bowlers yeah. that knows exactly what it's doing. My only hope is that this season breaks them so that when, when the ride <laughs> of the Ashes next the year, ashes. it's Doug Bollinger, Ben Hilfen House, Xavier Doherty, um, Nathan Go- Ghost of Peter Siddle. <laughs> Ghost of Peter they'll, Siddle, yeah. That, that they'll still do us. They'll still do us. <laughs> we didn't hear it. I mean, I think from from an Indian point of view, there might be some hope that they could uh, snag the first game, particularly as it's a day-nighter. Um, so could be a bit of uh, trickery under the lights. You know, if you get um, get the two young openers against Boom, uh, against Australia um, win the Boom toss run. at home every time, right? I've I've been up all night in BT towers doing voiceovers <laughs> for lunch and tea breaks and the start of the games. It's one of the most arduous things you'll ever do because you're not commentating. You think, oh well, I'm doing less. No, it sends you mad. It's uh, 11:30 at night till 7:30 in the morning, and every time you start the first day and you think oh, well, if New Zealand can win the toss, they've got a really good side. They're really competitive. They've got fantastic fast bowlers. No, no. Australia will win the toss. And Australia will bat. When yeah, Australia well, when, will when score I say, 560. When I say they could out. get, uh, get the all... openers under the lights against Boomerang, I mean at the end of day one after <laughs> Australia have won the toss and are 200 for none. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's how it would be against a tired bowling attack. Nasser Hussein forced... won the toss once. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's yeah. inverse, isn't it? It's all backwards over there. Well, you may notice in 2010-11 when England did win, they did win the toss quite a bit. Won it at Brisbane and crucially won it, didn't they? At uh, Melbourne, stuck them in and uh, in, in awkward circles, you know. So uh, and Adelaide. So winning the toss is going to be absolutely vital, or else Australia pile on the runs on a yeah. But it's not true that batting first is always the right thing to do, but in Australia. It really is the right thing to do because the pitches yeah. are pristine. So India will need a little bit of luck. If they win the odd toss here and there, then uh, that could make a, a massive difference. And if they bat first at Adelaide, the great thing about day-night game is, from the, the, the side of wins the toss perspective, is if you can get through that first day and then pile on the pressure on day two, if you can make it to T on day two, you've won the game because you then put a demoralised side in under lights with a new ball with fresh bowlers mm. and you win it there and then. Um, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. Fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. Come on, India. Yes. <laughs> India. Superpower. Should, well, should, we get, uh, should we get some predictions? Should we, should we nail some nail some colours to the wall on, on a result for that one? Yeah, I, th- I think we should, we should definitely start with Daniel because uh, he's, he's, this is his career, right? He's, this is make or break. <laughs> Uh, 3-0, 3-0 draw at the MCG. Oh. When was the last time someone won a test at the specific. MCG? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a terrible, terrible place to play cricket these days. It's a brilliant ground, awful pitch. They say they've improved it, but that remains to be seen. Max. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll go. Um, I was going to go. I also, I also thought there might be a draw, but I'm going to go I'm gonna go 2-1, and I'm going to say that India are going to win the, the day-nighter first up. With Coley, and then Coley goes, and it all disappears. Nice, Jacko. I think three nil is quite a good um, prediction. So I'll go four nil if we want difference. That leaves Ross in a pick, uh, a tricky predicament. <laughs> India win two one. <laughs> <laughs> someone's someone's got to do it. Ajinka Rahane takes the captaincy full time off of Coley at the end, comes victorious after two double centuries. I Matt. hope you're right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Max, before we uh, move on to speculating about cr- uh, cricket post-COVID, do you want to let yeah. people know what happened or, or what Kane Williamson did? Because we would we, be remiss to to forget yes. the, the great yes. man. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, there was some other cricket that was going on. Um, and we did sort of say we might mention it earlier on. Uh, the West Indies were in New Zealand to play some T20s and some tests. The T20s went badly for the West Indies. They lost by five wickets and then lost by 73 runs. And then the next one was rained off, um, which I believe we've mentioned last week. And then they played, well, they played one test so far and they got absolutely pelted. It was uh, what was it, an innings and 134 runs, I think. Kane Williamson scored 251. Um, so he's really good. Uh, that's something that we already knew, and he's proven again. Uh, I did, I, I did have a question, which was: uh, Are we a little surprised about how badly West Indies got thumped in that game? Like aside from the T20s, because we saw them in England in at the start of the summer, and. They actually looked right. I mean, they won the first game, and uh, they looked their their bowling attack looked dangerous. And when their batting held held up, uh, they were tricky. But unfortunately, their batting didn't hold up this time. Yeah, no. I, well, I think what? there are two reasons, aren't there? One, um, New Zealand are probably a better home side than England are a home side. Um, and two, New Ze- um, the West Indies are so reliant on their bowlers that when they don't fire, which they didn't really in in in, in this match. Um, partly because, uh, well, probably a big reason for that was probably because they didn't really have that much preparation. Um, but when when the bowlers don't fire, it, it leaves a really brittle batting lineup, basically, uh, well, just out there to be gunned down. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> well, New Zealand have got one of the best pace attacks in the world, of which there yeah. are a lot of very good pace attacks at the moment. They are really, really brilliant at home. My favourite takeaway from it, was affirmation of something that I a theory I've been developing for 15 years, which is that nobody knows anything about pitches because on the first day, oh look, it's green. God, <laughs> green, you've green, got you have it? got to bowl on that. You have got to bowl on that. 569 for <laughs> six declared. Yeah. Right. Because New Zealand pitches are really annoying. They don't do what they they did relatively briefly in the 80s, yeah. which is make it impossible to pass everyone, on. Everyone thinks it's a bit like yes. England, don't they? Yeah, yes. they do. And it isn't. It's nothing like England. It's, they've got a really fantastic government, a really wonderful <laughs> setup. It's just, you know, the, the weather's a bit like ours, but a much better version of it. The light is clear and blue and crystal and the people are enlightened and, you know, it's just a terrific place to be and live. Yeah. And, I mean, the only, and, downside so, so is... the only downside is their pitches are crap. So you yeah. can't have everything. And, um, and and secondly, you know, once you've scored, once you've put on 500-odd, as Jack alluded to, the West Indies batting shows flashes of loveliness and huge amounts of potential. But unfortunately, test cricket is extremely difficult. I mean, there's a reason why it takes a, a very particular type of player and usually from one of the so-called big three to do well at batting in test cricket because you've got to be in a setup that gives you the time to develop those skills and you've got to have the coaches around you that will make it happen and you've also got to come from an environment which values them because in England we do value them so Dominic Sibley would just would have stopped playing cricket if he was West Indian because they'd have taken one look at him and go you can't (laughs) that's just too dull man (laughs) but in England we go Oh, great. You're the really boring guy we've been looking for for years. Do you know, we can develop you 
we could develop you and you can you can leave the ball weirdly for hours on end and and it's marvelous i love that i and i love that about dom Sibby. i don't mean anything nice about dom Sibby. he's a wonderful man and a, and a really potentially really good test cricketer but the west indies don't have the time and the space perhaps to develop those players so when they're up against a really good side facing 500 odd because they didn't bat first and they're knackered and they're in unfamiliar surroundings and they don't have all those things going for them. It's a perfect storm and test cricket will find your weakness and it will relentlessly and mercilessly exploit it. And those are the West Indies weaknesses and a really good team absolutely flattened them. So I wasn't really surprised once the game started to go the way it did. I think really the question would be better framed as were you surprised the West Indies didn't take more wickets on day one? Because mm. that's what the entire match hinged on. Yeah. And um, I was a little bit surprised because even though I know everyone's wrong about pitches, I did think that is really quite good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a back garden. It was it's a ridiculous. bit. But, but obviously it turns out that underneath it's flat as fuck. Anyway, mate, after that dreadful question, um, which, which you were rightly derided for, um, I think it's time for us to take a short break before we come back. <laughs> Uh, with 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 with, a, with, a, with, a, with an optimistic look forward to a post-COVID world. Is it what? Is the well-being of my family in the back of my mind? I suppose there is a tiny ray of hope. That I may one day be given the privilege of playing for my country again. But I'm I'm resigned to the fact that that may never happen. Don't cry out loud, just keep it inside. Learn how to hide your feelings. Well, yes, it does finally look like we are heading back towards normality. But I suspect, and I suspect you all suspect as well, fellas, that there might be some pretty severe implications for the game of cricket. Um, should we start with the obvious question? And, th- and this is the topical topical one. Um, the new ICC chairman, Greg Barkley, uh, this week, he's wasted no time at all um, in wading into into the future of Test cricket debate. Um Fellas, have you seen what he said? He wants, does he want to scrap the Test Match Championship? He more or less does want to do that. And reading between the lines, it sounds like he may want to go a little bit further than that and uh, roll back slightly um, the number of Test Matches hosted full stop. I mean, I think my general question to, to you four, and um, Max, we'll start with you. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, is Greg Barkley a man who will bring us one step closer to a world with no test cricket? <laughs> well, uh, it sounds like it, doesn't it? I thought the World Test Championship was the point of getting more test cricket and getting the associate. Actually, 
the associate nations is possibly where this is going to fall down, isn't it? Because like the whole point of the World Test Championship was to try and give more of a well, aside from getting Test cricket, you know, a bit bit more popular, give uh, the associate nations something to aim for in terms of getting Test uh, accreditation and getting into playing, um, getting into the sort of top eight, top ten in the world. And yeah, this is very much a backwards step. Uh, so I think it's 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 bad news for everyone, really. Yes, Daniel, I suspect you'll have some quite strong uh, feelings on Greg Barkley's quotes this week. Um, is there anything you'd like to elaborate on? I, I would like to say that I hope that he's been misquoted and misunderstood because if the understanding is that uh, he would like to see less Test cricket and no World Test Championship, not that the World Test Championship should be reformed because it is kind of complicated. I say it's... it's, it's, it's weird the point system is strange uh, and it's very very which i hope he isn't that's just somebody uh, without the imagination to work out how to make a difficult thing happen well i mean his, his direct quote was that uh, test cricket has got its legacy and i am a purist but i do accept that as much as i want to keep it as it is less and less countries are able to afford the arrangement and are able to play it um so you can i guess read that two ways i mean i I, i've read that as uh, well i could read it as as grammatically incoherent because it could be fewer (laughs) and fewer countries and and a person who doesn't understand the difference between less and fewer has got no business deciding what the hell happens in test cricket but it may be that it's just you know beyond his intellectual ken since he can barely speak english if that's the case but um, (laughs) it's it's not that fewer and fewer uh, countries can play cricket it's that fewer and fewer countries are supported in playing cricket you know, we spoke to Jason Holder about this at the end of the final test inside the bubble. And he was very clear that it wasn't that there wasn't an appetite for test cricket or that there wasn't the potential for really good test cricketers in the West Indies. It's that they're not being supported, that boards hoard money themselves and that the entire schedule of cricket is uh, done to aggrandise and fill the coffers of the boards that already have it, India most notably, and then England and Australia. Now. That's all well and good, but England, for example, needs to realise that one of its biggest attractions is the Ashes. It sells a heck of a lot of sponsorship and broadcast money and gets an awful lot of people coming in to watch the Ashes. So it's in England's interest for Test cricket to maintain itself. The same is true of Australia, because for all of the big bash and the excitement over what that was going to generate for Cricket Australia, it's actually starting to lose money. Whereas four years ago, three years ago, I should say, the last Ashes series was the best attended that they'd ever had. So more more ticket sales, more sponsorship revenue, better broadcast rights. Um, it's obvious that it's in the interest of those countries to play Test cricket. You can't play Test cricket unless there are other countries that can also play it because it's inconceivable that this can just go on with two or three teams playing. I mean, it, it sort of did until well into the 1930s and de facto it sort of did through the 40s, 50s and 60s. But you know, those those were very, very different times. And we were all excited enough by, you know, 60 over cricket in England in the 1960s. That's what mattered to us, having overseas players playing county cricket. So uh, it's fatuous and ridiculous to, um, to suggest that test cricket can't work. It's just that somebody has got to have the desire and the nous to especially if you know if we talk about the ICC, which generates huge amounts of money from selling World Cup rights, to use that money to develop Test cricket around the world, 
And in so doing, you'll develop other better cricket as well. Because let's face it, some of the very best cricketers in the other formats in the world are also test cricketers. Steve Smith just got off the back of 200s in 60 balls. He's undeniably one of the best test cricketers there is. Virat Kohli, for God's sake. You know, Jofra Archer, his first year as a test cricketer was staggering. And he came in as a T20 bowler. You know, the, the skills are more than transferable. They're complementary. So if you want to improve the standard and improve the spectacle, we need to be playing all the three formats that we've got. Now, I think that as, as a new ICC chairman, we're going to all cut in some slack and hope that firstly, he learns the difference between less and fewer. And yeah. secondly, understands the importance of test cricket. And that might become apparent to him when boards that take test cricket seriously, but not just for a purist sake. This isn't because we're some misty-eyed lunatics who think that, you know, we've got to keep this continuum going from Charles Bannerman to the present day. It's because the spectacle of Test cricket and the, the revenues it generates feed into all of cricket, down into grassroots cricket. And you talk to any of the best cricketers in the world, they still can remember their exploits in a Test match far better than they can in a T20 international or most one-day internationals. So it matters to them and it matters to crowds. So it ought to matter to the chairman of the ICC. It would be strange if it didn't, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be <laughs> odd, yes. Um, making it matter, though, um, could be a bit of a change. So, Daniel, you, you, you spoke about the Ashes there, and, and in many ways that does give context to the last 150 years um, or, or so of the sport, particularly from an English point of view. And that is something that um, many of the smaller nations don't have. Um the, the World Test Championship was designed to try and give it some of that context. Um, I, I would say it probably hasn't, and I think there are some format issues with that in terms of it basically being over for half the teams after their first That's series. Right. Um, <laughs> Ross, you have ideas. You're an ideas man. Where would you take the World Test Championship next? Well, uh, first of all, I think it's just really quite interesting that the new ICC chairman is from New Zealand and the w World Test Championship is probably the only chance they have of winning any um, any trophies. So quite a bit of a shoot himself in the foot on that one. Um, in terms of some of the other, I think you need to pump money into it. Like Daniel says, it's all about, we, we talked about women's cricket. We talked about women's cricket and they need the, they need the competition, they need the money being invested, they need the coaching, etc. And I think that that is the same to be said of the likes of the West Indies, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. They need better setups because at the moment they're, they're working on what? Maybe a tenth of the budget that, say, England are operating on. So yeah, but isn't it, it just easier high. to take it away from them, Ross? They don't need more money. You just take the cricket away from them. They don't have to worry, don't have to worry about it then. But then, but then the product itself is Test cricket. We'll, we'll, you're going to get bored of watching England versus Australia and England versus India. You'll get bored of that trifecta going around every single time. Um, I think they need to make sure they are pumping that money in and making sure that there are competitiveness. I, th I think. The World Test Championship was a good step forward. Might not be perfect, but kind of progress is more important than perfection on that kind of stuff. Making sure people are playing it, etc., making things more accessible would make it much more interesting. I think you need to have semi-finals for a start. You can't just have two teams that qualify. Mm -hmm. You need to have. Th there's one really easy way of doing this, which is to ensure that everybody plays three match series against each other for a start. I, I favour. Um, making international cricket really simple by making every single tour three tests, three ODIs and three T20s. 
expenses and they're all part of a league. Um, I think if teams want to play more matches, more test matches in a series, because that's what they want to do for the Ashes and they can generate more money, then they should be entitled to do that. But they would um, specify which three matches are going to be for the World Test Championship. And obviously a sensible thing to do would be to make it the third, fourth and fifth, because that way, you know, you keep an Ashes series alive when England are down under. or <laughs> Well, you keep any five-match series alive that way anyway. Mm. But the vast majority of series would then take place in a way that fans could understand that a psycho's over there, they're going to play three tests, three one-day internationals and three T20s. And you maintain a league structure throughout a particular cycle. It can be a four-year cycle for all I care, but you might want a two-year cycle for ODIs and a, and a four-year cycle for tests. I don't, I don't know. I haven't worked it out. Um, and then you have the top four teams and they play a semi-final and a final and you know, with a big fanfare and a giant bauble, a huge mace with diamonds and emeralds and sapphires all around it and um, a beautiful carving of uh, Douglas Jardine that's <laughs> been put right in the middle of it. Uh, because if Australia win, I want them to have to look at that uh, forever and eternity. But we, what you need, aside from a, a giant figurine of Douglas Jardine to make this work, is uh, you need certainty about scheduling. You need to know, the fan needs to understand what to expect. In football, you know, depending on time of year, what tournaments are being played, both domestically and internationally, depending on what year it is. You know that uh, notwithstanding that they've messed about with the UEFA, but the UEFA Cup, uh, what do you call it, the, the European um, Ujima flip. <laughs> but there you go. I don't know what it is now because they've changed it. Because <laughs> it used to be... <laughs> so the moment, the moment they change things, I go mad. <laughs> but, but, but broadly speaking, you know, fo- football has nailed its, its routines. And so as a fan, you know where you are and, and what's going on. And in cricket, we don't. If you play every year um, four series of three tests, three one-day internationals and three T20s. Doesn't that kind of do the job? Well, and, every, and every country does it against every other country and you keep a league table? I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult. No. Well, there we go. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, Daniel. Uh, have we got time for any more, Jack, or do we need to wrap up? I think, I think we're probably... We're at about an hour and 20 minutes. I think this is a good time to leave it for the week um, we've got another couple of shows before Christmas where we'll be talking about India and stuff um, uh, one final thing then Twatia 45 Dan Norcross what do you think is in that cocktail well it's got to be one of those cocktails in which you've got nothing very much happening at the top a great big fat amount happening in the middle and then nothing much happening at the bottom so you know those ones where they managed to put like this sort of dense liquid so you've got like layers tequila sunrise a bit like that, yeah, exactly. Because with Tuatia, what you get is you get on, on, on either side, you get baffling ineptitude, and then you get this great big, thick, dense fug of brilliance. He's just superb, and he's and he's never a little bit of one thing or a little bit of the other, he's just full on. He's just either what the hell are you doing? Do you remember that innings when he got? when he smashed what's his name to all parts it five sixes in the over Cottrell, hit, uh, yeah. Sheldon yeah. Cottrell five sixes and uh, the commentators spent the first half hour of his inning saying this is just not fair on the lad you know he shouldn't they shouldn't put him out there. he should be probably a petrol pump Samson pump. turned <laughs> down a single he turned down exactly. a single in a T20 match he hit it to long on it was just like no 
<laughs> can't let Tarati a face. And he goes, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I absolutely love him. Um, everything he does, he does to extremes. Oh, there so we the, go. Co- the cocktail is, as it turns out, a tequila sunrise. Yeah. With, um, I think, maybe an egg white foam on top. And that's sort of yeah, nothing not? top, oh, isn't God. it? Right. <laughs> Thanks, Max, for that. Taste. Um, this is the end of the Cricket Podcast for this week. You can find us on Twitter at the Cricket Pod. Um, or you can email us, thecricketpod at gmail.com. Nobody uses email anymore, do they? I'd like to have some emails. Thank you very much for listening. Daniel, it's been great having you. Is there anything you would like to say to our listeners before we sign off for the week? Uh, yeah, uh, just stay at home throughout the entire Christmas break. Don't go and see people. It's really annoying. All that happens is that it means that we can't even go into a pub garden in a socially distanced way throughout January. And we've been doing it for the last nine months. None of you believe in God anyway. None of you ever really enjoyed any of your family Christmases. You couldn't wait for one without them. This is the perfect opportunity to stay where you are and get tanked up on Avocar in front of Netflix rather than travelling around the country, getting smashed and then telling your grandmother that you think she's the greatest person known to man and then filling up our bloody hospitals with dying elderly. There we are. There we go. What a message. Um, we'll Season's be- greetings. Play that at 3pm on the 25th instead of the Queen. <laughs> We will be back next week.